Amen. Till he returns or calls me home. That's one of my favorite lines in any worship song. Just want to continue to anchor our lives there. It is good to see you guys. Uh, I might be, at least this is true first service, a little more excited today uh, because I get to see people. Uh, Casey flew to Washington, D.C. on Wednesday, got back very late last night. And uh, so it was me and the three, and we had a great time with Mari, Dari, and Hudson. But it's great to see people. So good morning. My name's David. I love being one of the pastors around here and excited for things coming up. If you saw in the lobby, uh, VBS, I love that we're going to provide a meaningful opportunity for kids to uh, begin their adventure with God. And so I hope you get a chance to walk out there and see if there's some way you would partner, whether in serving or there's something to donate that would help support VBS going forward this year. And you heard from Kevin with CareNet. I love our partnership and investment with CareNet that we get to support the flourishing of life in these little babies. I am a recipient of someone choosing life, and I think I got the benefit three times over. And this summer, excited for what is coming this summer. Bless you, Mark. Um, there's the beautiful, that's the beautiful part of a family church, right? It's like, is he going to call me by name? Yes, every time, every time. This summer, we're excited. John 17, Jesus prays for the unity of the church. He prays that his followers would be one as he and the Father are one. What would it look like to be so unified that as John 17, Jesus prays, we are so unified as the Trinity? What a, what a concept. And so this summer, we want to press into that. What would it look like for us to continue to anchor ourselves in the key essentials of our faith, not as some stuffy doctrine to be studied, but rather as a deep, deep, beautiful heart posture being awakened as we think deeply of these realities and truths. So looking forward to what summer will be starting June 20th. I don't know about you, I grew up in the church, and so if you came to faith later in life, it's what I love about Hillcrest. There are so many stories of people choosing Jesus above anything else this life has to offer, coming to him and repenting of their sins and following him later in life. I love that. You may have already heard then, but for me, when I grew up, I often heard this story of following Jesus, you pray a prayer and you're good for eternity. And not often told of maybe the journey and the, the uh, potential challenges of pursuing him and letting good and kindred go in this mortal life also. Peter is now continuing in his letter, uh, puzzle piece for the puzzle box, forest for the trees. I want to pull back for a second before we dig in to what he's going to share with us because I think it lands as we continue to see his encouragement throughout the letter, he says, beloved. Where else in this letter, as he's about to tell us hard things, has he shared about and called us beloved, called his readers beloved? He's been pushing us to see our lives in light of this new identity and live that new identity out in the midst of a watching and needy, skeptical, sometimes even hostile world for the sake of God's glory. Live out this new identity. And then, for two chapters, he pressed us with what the reality of that new identity means. Fred, it's good to see you. Your knee's feeling okay? Fred's knee, Fred busted his knee over sabbatical. Did you guys hear this? And it's just been a ride. And so he got surgery again. Am I allowed to share these details? 
got surgery again, and so we're thankful that he's present with us. Identity in Jesus, for two chapters, he's just been hitting us, right? And then he makes a turn in verse 11. The other time he says, beloved, before he says some hard truths for our lives, he frames it. I mean, it, it gives me a reminder. You don't just be, beat people over the head with truth, right? Peter's about to share hard stuff. How does he couch it? Beloved, I care about you. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles, as you wage war in this world and, and as people speak evil against you, I want to share this with you, beloved. He does it again. As he talks about this new identity, he told us about new life in society, how we interact with the government, how we interact with our spouse, how we interact with our employer, how do we interact with suffering. And now as he closes his letter over these next few weeks before June 20th, he's going to press us to say endure. It's worth it. This new identity in Jesus is worth it. There is joy in the midst of suffering to be had. And how does he start this section? Beloved. Beloved. Here's the text for this morning. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trials when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Endure, it's worth it. If you were insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or meddler. Yet if, someone, yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed. Let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for the judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Peter's now wrapping up his letter in the next few chapters here, end of chapter 4, all of chapter 5. And he's, he's encouraging us. He's going to tell us who follow Jesus what it looks like to experience and express this deep joy in the midst of suffering. So pray with me as we jump in. God, we love opening up your word and reading it collectively. We love gathering, not to go to a Sunday morning program, but rather gather as your body to sing songs to who you are, to preach a sermon rooted in your words to us, to hear stories of your faithfulness, and then every week be commissioned back out. So help us hear from you a little bit more fully this morning. For your glory we pray. Amen. Amen. So he says, beloved, beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you. Uh, Francis Chan told this story um, about playing basketball, right? I, and, and it reminded me of my days of intramural basketball. And, and I would tend to, if there was a chance, I would tend to just go talk to the stats guy for a little bit. Game's going on. Yeah, this is an important opportunity. I want to go talk, hang. Do you think anyone was guarding me at that point? No, no, I, I wasn't even in the, in the play, right? But what would happen if I actually drove the ball to the basket? Do you think anyone would guard me? You're still thinking no, but yes, they would actually try to guard me. Yes, you drive to the basket, what's going to happen? Potentially double team, triple team? Well, probably never triple team, but they're going to guard you. 
I was, watching, uh, I was watching a musical this past week. My kids are all about High School Musical right now. They are all about it. And, and what's, what's like one of the best songs in, and if, and if you want to win my heart, we just watch a musical together. I mean, musicals are phenomenal. Anyway, so we're watching High School Musical. Disney does some great musicals. Anyway, we're watching High School Musical. One of, the, one of the greatest songs in that musical, what is it? Gotta, gotta get your head in the game. Gotta get your head in the game. Beloved, don't be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you. If you're actually invested in the game, this shouldn't shock you at all. This is just part of what it looks like as a follower of Jesus. Don't let this surprise you, but rejoice. Don't let it shock you. Instead, we ought to experience deep joy in the midst of suffering. And Peter is aware that's not always our reality. So instead, he's going to share a little bit about what we might do to experience joy in the midst of suffering. But I want to make sure we're all on the same page when we talk about what is suffering. Sometimes we reserve it simply for persecution for our faith, which is where he's going to develop it a little bit more fully this morning. But where he started in chapter 1, he said various trials. So, so what might that look like? The actual state of my life that I experience suffering. What, what is suffering? We defined it as when we experience that gap between our actual state and our desired state. In my actual state, I'm experiencing challenges of various kinds, sometimes pretty shallow ones. But as we grow, it seems like there's an intensity to what that gap of suffering would be of emotional pain, maybe relational trauma that we're experiencing, physical pain, when we hear uh, the C word, cancer, as our diagnosis. When we maybe have a loss of job, there's this gap of where I'd want to be. I'd like to have the job. I'd like to not have cancer. And yet that's where I am. What do you call that gap? There's an experience of suffering. Peter says we can actually rejoice in our actual state. Why? How could I rejoice what would actually fill my life with joy and satisfaction in the midst of those complexities of life that aren't going my way? We actually can experience and express joy and suffering as those who follow Jesus knowing he is with us. And now he's going to press us. And you see in the notes, there's about eight ideas that he's going to press us with on how we can rejoice because we know certain things about the way God designed life to work. So first, that first one, what is it? We actually view suffering as part of God's design. Here's what he says. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trials when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. I just got a text last night from one of my buddies. He was in his first, back in California, was in his first UFC fight. Now, I would imagine if I'm standing in his corner and, and, and the bell rings and he he, he, he almost gets knocked out by the guy. The guy swings a punch at him, and he runs over to the corner. He goes, David, they're swinging at me. What do you think I'd tell him? Man, did swing back. As though something strange were happening. Morgan, this is what you signed up for when you entered into this fight. But 
This is not something strange that's happening to you. He sent me a, a text last night at midnight saying he won his first fight as well. So he's taking a bite out of his little medal. Anyway, as though something strange were happening to you, this is actually God's design that he uses these things to do what? To strengthen and confirm our faith. Here's what he says in the text. We rejoice in suffering. Why? How can I experience and express joy in the midst of suffering? Because I'm confident it strengthens and confirms my faith. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trials when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. That there's a test that is occurring. What's the test? The confirmation and depth of your faith. So, so I want to share just three quick ideas here. How? How? How does trials test us? I mean, that feels counterintuitive. What do you mean trials are here to test me? Man, it'd be nice if, if that test didn't exist. It feels counterproductive. And yet here's what trials will often do for us. It actually helps us identify what we truly value, love, and worship. When something hits my life, I get a pretty quick metric of what I love, value, and worship in this life. When, when I was a little late to playing volleyball on Friday night, my kids were making me late, you could find out very quickly where my priorities lied in that moment. And then, when that happens, it allows us to quickly appraise how much we find in those things. When those things are removed or those things come to me, I get to find out pretty quickly and I appraise to the degree that those things provide value. Now, was volleyball bad? No. But could I have reorganized my priorities a little bit to help meet my kids in a moment? Ah. When my car gets scratched, where, where does my heart go? Well, my job is taken away. Where's my, where's my heart go? We actually believe God is testing us in the midst of those. What's the test? He's using these circumstances to woo us back to him as the ultimate source for our joy. Beloved, don't be surprised when the fiery trials come upon you to test you as if something strange were happening. Instead, God is at work confirming and verifying your faith. We rejoice in sufferings. Why? Because we see it as part of God's design to strengthen and confirm our faith and actually verify that we will experience additional joy in the future. Here's what he says. Beloved, do not be surprised. I mean, we've been at this about two years, right guys? I mean, there's no surprise. We just walk through the text relentlessly on Sunday morning. And I, and I have a fair understanding of what I'm competing against, right? I mean, there's some kind of show that we got to watch when we get home. And lunch plans are coming on. And you're like, David, just, just blow through this. So thank you for bearing with us, right? We just go through the text. And there's nothing better that we could do with our time then collectively walk through and hear from God through his word. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trials when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you, but what? But rejoice. Why? Insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, so that what? You rejoice in the midst of suffering now. Why? Why might I do that? Because it verifies that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. That I'm not just 
going through hell so I can get to heaven, but rather there is joy in the journey now that actually verifies that I will have joy at his future coming. We rejoice in suffering because we know it's part of God's design, strengthens and confirms our faith, verifies we will experience additional joy in the future, and actually brings blessing. How does suffering bring blessing? Yet if anyone suffers, here we go. Pick it up at verse 14. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed. We saw this idea earlier in chapter 3. Here's how he phrased it in chapter 3. 3 verse 9, do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless for this you are called that you may obtain a blessing. We thought back then, specifically referring to the future blessing that we would receive. And then he develops the other side of verse 14, but even you should suffer for righteous snake, you are blessed now. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. And he motivates us by saying, don't fear him who can kill the body. Fear him who governs the soul. But he develops it a little bit more fully here that we are blessed. Why are we blessed? If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed. Why? Because the spirit of God, of glory, and of God rests upon you. Is it in the times of comfort and ease where you experience the sweetness of Jesus? Or is it actually sometimes in those moments of pain and suffering when Jesus is most near? That the spirit of glory and of God rests on you when? I don't know if you've heard of some of the crazy stuff happening in Myanmar right now. I mean, it's genocide. My family's connected to some of, the, some of the, 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 the followers of Jesus out there. I mean, it's nuts. And yet I would imagine, I don't know, I don't know that this isn't a quote, I haven't talked to them, but I would imagine they would say the sweetness of fellowship with Jesus is being experienced more fully right now in the midst of pain. I was talking to someone this week the possibility of losing some of their limbs, and yet it was in that moment of pain, the presence and sweetness of Jesus was most present. When we look back on some of our experiences in the adoption and foster adoption process, it was actually feeling that Spirit of God resting upon us, and we even sometimes long to get back to those moments because it's not in the comfort and ease we get to experience and confirm that, yes, I am a follower of Jesus, that He's better. I want you to hear from a family, Eddie and Diana Keeler, share a little bit of their story of what it means that they're experiencing the sweetness of Jesus' fellowship as they're trying to navigate the circumstances they find themselves in. Uh, hello, everyone. My name is Eddie Keeler, and this is my wife, Diana. And we have been part of the Hillcrest community for about three years now. We are excited to share our story hopes that it would give some encouragement to other families that are kind of facing the situations that we are at the moment, kind of being forced to conform more to the world's beliefs and not to the Bible's. So our story started um, earlier this year when we were made aware of some lessons that were going to be taught at our girls' school that um, a 
as Christians, we just didn't feel comfortable. Um, the concepts and the ideas um, were against, you know, our faith and things that we had, you know, learned through the Bible. So we decided to send an email to school um, just to ask if we had the option to opt our girls out. For me, I thought that was going to be the hardest part, sending the email because I actually work at the school that my kids attend. So essentially, I'm sending this email to my boss. We sent the email um, and we had a response asking us to be more specific on what we weren't comfortable with in the lessons. And I think for me, that was the first time in my life that I've ever really felt like I had to stand up and justify my faith and my beliefs, but we did it. Um, we went into detail and we explained just, you know, what exactly we weren't comfortable with. School came back and said, you know, we were allowed to opt our kids out. We were, we were excited, we were happy. We thought that we had, you know, jumped over the hurdle and everything would go back to normal. But shortly after that, we learned that these were a series of lessons that would be taught over the course of the school year. It was something new in their curriculum. And so every time they start a new series, we've had to send another email asking to opt our, our kids out. We've kind of questioned ourselves at some point, you know, are we doing the right thing? Are we making a bigger deal of this than there needs to be? Are we doing the right thing for the kids? Came to a point that we just kind of had to shut out all of the noise, everything that was going on, you know, and we just dove in, into the Bible and, you know, looked to the text to, you know, give us strength and comfort. He tells us that, you know, when you're faced with this crossroads and you choose to stand up for your faith and stand up for his name that, you know, you should be, you should celebrate that because, um, you know, you should rejoice. That's actually a blessing and, and you will be blessed. I think at that point, once we really took that text in and realized, um, you know, what an amazing opportunity that we actually have been given to stand up like that, it kind of went from feeling like a burden almost to to something that we can celebrate and that we're proud of and that we're you know excited that we've been given that opportunity. Um, it's also come with its cost though. Like I said, it's never easy. Um, some of the costs we've you know experienced is a shift in friendship. We've both experienced um, you know being treated differently, uh, and soon we will you know feel a financial cost just um, reevaluating my position and just feeling like ultimately the best decision was for me to walk away from my position. But putting our trust in, in God and just knowing that you know we're exactly where we are supposed to be. And to be honest, we've already seen like so much blessing emerge from the situation. Uh, we've been able to you know show our family and our children what it what it's like to stand up for your faith and that you know it's not always easy they've seen you know me have a lot of emotion a lot of breakdowns it was something that you couldn't hide from our kids like they they could see the expression on my it. face they could see the change you know in my uh, my moods um they overheard the conversations that eddie and i were having and so um just bringing them in you know what are we going through as a family you know because it affects them too it's you know it's creating an environment um for them taking the time at night when we pray as a family and explaining and including you know what we're praying for and just asking God to to give us the guidance that we're doing the right thing that we're taking the right steps you know the bible talks about loving loving your neighbor even in hard times it's it's really hard and frustrating to continue to love your neighbor and to love that person even when they're the ones telling you that you know you're wrong you need to be more open-minded and accepting of all these different things and all these different ideas. You're thinking, this is hard. This is, you know, you want to lash out in anger. 
but in your heart, you just remember that, you know, God's got a plan for all of this. He really does. And our ultimate mission is just to love our neighbor and love God. And the last thing, enduring through the trial, you know, you kind of feel like, I felt like I almost was wearing like a scarlet letter on, on my back every day. Um, you know, walking into a crowd who, you know, felt and, and thought a different way than I did. And just, you know, feeling like I had to put that armor on. You know, if we could leave you with anything today from, you know, what we've learned from our situation is that it, it isn't always easy to stand up for your faith, but we've learned that it's, it's always worth it in the end. I don't know what circumstance you may find yourself in where it would look like you being willing to be insulted for the name of Jesus. Even in that situation, what is the best outcome and what is the best way forward? We just want to continue to point people to identity in Jesus. But it should never be because we're a jerk, right? We rejoice in suffering and we know it not because it's the result of us being cruel. Here's what he says in the text. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fire trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share in Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you were insulted for the name of Christ, you were blessed and there is a sweetness that comes with confirming your identity with him. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or a meddler. If, if you steal something and the justice system comes upon you and you go, David, I'm suffering. No, no, that's, that's just because you're a thief, right? It's, that has nothing to do with you suffering for Jesus, right? Well, well man, I, I'm, I'm a, I made a poor choice in maybe my ugh, driving patterns. And, and, and I'm feeling some of the ramifications of that. I'm suffering. No, 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 you're, you're just a jerk, right? I mean, it's, it's thief, an evildoer, or a meddler, right? That person that just stirs the pot, right? It just causes drama. Just always at the center of the conversation, just, stir, just an instigator. And then sometimes there's a blowback on that person. And, oh, man, David, do you know the kind of suffering I'm experiencing in the relationships that I'm in? No. You're a meddler, always meddling in people's affairs and situations, stirring up drama. That, that's because you're a jerk. That's on you. You're not suffering for rejoicing in the midst of your trials for suffering for Jesus. And so he says, just a reminder, what, what is the nature of where that suffering might be coming from? Not because it's a jerk. We rejoice in suffering because we know it is part of God's design, that God's actually at work in the midst of this stuff, and it's strengthening and confirming our faith, and it verifies that we're going to experience additional joy in the life to come. Brings blessing. There's a sweetness of Jesus' presence in the midst of those circumstances. And it never happens because you're a jerk, but rather rooted in this desire. We know it brings glory to God as we rejoice in the midst of our suffering. Here's what he says. Pick it up at verse 15. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. 
Let them glorify God in that name. If anyone suffers as a Christian, and, and you guys can correct me if I'm wrong, we see the first name here, Christian, in Acts, uh, where these Christ followers are identified with this name, and it's and wasn't quickly followed up with. Let him not be ashamed. So, so even that language to, to Peter's readers is a pejorative term. This is not a positive term. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. I think what he's saying, not simply the name of that, but rather the qualities of someone who follows Christ. Let him glorify God in that qualities that embody that name of what it looks like to find joy in the midst of suffering. Rather than being ashamed, May you glorify God in the way you continue to love your neighbor relentlessly in the midst of being reviled. That there is a desire to invite people to find security and satisfaction and confidence in Jesus in the midst of being told uh, you, may, you, may, uh, <laughs> you may be insulted for carrying that proclamation, that quality of that name. He says, I love this quote from Billy Graham. When you're insulted, rather than seeing that as a negative, I love Billy Graham's quote, turn your critics into coaches. To actually see these as opportunities to continue to grow, even as you're insulted, to see it as an opportunity to continue to meet others where they may be at and yourself grow in confidence in what your convictions are. Turning your critics into your best coaches. We rejoice in suffering because we know it's part of God's design, strengthens and confirms our faith. And then here he tells us, assures us that we avoid the fate of those that have yet to treasure Jesus. These biblical writers continue to point us to eternity. Here's what he says, verse 15. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed not back down, continue to gain confidence, but let him glorify God in that name. It's more than praying a prayer. Continue to arm yourself with this way of thinking. Anchor yourself in Jesus. For the time, for it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? What, for those that aren't convinced that Jesus brings hope in the midst of circumstances, what might their life be like and even more, if the, unrighteous, if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? I don't know if you've heard this. Someone might say, David, you want to be on the right side of history. David, as you interact with the circumstances of life, just, just make sure you're on the right side of history. Make sure that, that as you potentially see a different way of culture, make sure you're on the right side of history. I love this quote from Mark Driscoll. He says this, he says, don't worry about being on the wrong side of history. Do worry about being on the right side of eternity. And as I interact with all the things going on in this life, how do I not lose sight of this guiding anchor of finding my hope in Jesus? So we rejoice in suffering for these reasons, and then he, he gives us this confidence at the end. And it, we know that we can rejoice in the midst of suffering. I mean, you, we go through our days and there could feel like there's this apathy, right? There, there could feel like there's just another day. 
Do you, ever, do you ever wake up and feel like someone's against you? That there is actually a spiritual force attempting to tear down your faith? That there is this active spiritual opposition that wants nothing of the ways of Jesus? And you go through this life, and sometimes you just could go, man, what, why, why do I keep fighting for this life with Jesus? And, and sometimes I, I, I'm not always seeing the path as clearly as I'd like. Sometimes I can look back and I can see God's fingerprints. Sometimes I'm looking back and I go, God, what, what were you even doing? Convinced that the inevitable expression of our trusting in the faithful God, here's what he says, we can rejoice in the midst of suffering knowing that we're entrusting our life to this faithful God. Here's what he says. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange was happening to you. Verse 19. Therefore, let those of us who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Man, I wish spiritual formation was like a vending machine. I just punch E5 and out comes less anger. I just, just wish it was like, ah, you know, I want some Doritos today. You know, it's, it's, I just want to be a little bit more patient. And yet there's this ongoing Monday to Saturday life where I wake up and I continue this journey with Jesus. You ever given the keys to your car to someone and there was a little tentativity. You were like, are they going to smash my car? Or you, you let someone borrow something and you're like, am I ever going to get that back? Let those who suffer according to God's will. As I'm walking through this life, I'm actually giving the keys to my car, not to some knucklehead, but to a faithful creator while doing good. And do I get to see all of his activity? No. But I suffer and I rejoice in the midst of suffering. Why? Because I'm entrusting my life to my faithful creator. So every week we talk about their town. We love digging into the text, but we always want to cross the bridge to say, so how does it apply in our world in southern Wisconsin in the 21st century? Here's our implications. How might we experience and express joy in our suffering? in the gap between our actual state and our desired state, wherever we find ourselves in that spiritual journey. Here's what I hope we understand about Hillcrest. We are all in process. Wherever we find ourselves in that journey, maybe there's some things that are just a little more shallow. Or we find ourselves right in the midst of very challenging things. Or maybe even wrestling with being persecuted for our faith. Wherever we find ourselves how might we experience and express joy in the midst of those circumstances? First, if you don't already have this, if this isn't how you view life, when you wake up to your Monday to Saturday, here would be my encouragement to grow in a biblical view of suffering that God is actually testing in the best sense, wooing us back the problem of pain I think on page 106 or 107, C.S. Lewis has one of the most profound quotes that God whispers to us in our positives, but he shouts to us in our pain. It is God's megaphone to rouse the deaf world. God is wooing us back to himself as the ultimate source of life.
and honestly reflect on our lives and the potential lack of persecution. Man, I feel like I have a pretty good life. Got the nice house, a nice car, 2.5 kids, four kids, right? Live in beautiful Oregon, Wisconsin. I got a wonderful community that I get to be a part of. What suffering am I experiencing, right? Is our lack of suffering an indicator that I'm still more attached to this world? Not necessarily, right? But as we reflect, is our lack of suffering an indicator that there are still things that I care more about, my reputation, the stuff I have? Honestly, reflect on our lives and the potential lack of persecution. Because I actually think I got the easy job. I get to, I get to preach every week, right, for about 30 minutes. And some of you get to take a nap for about 30 minutes. It's like a beautiful win-win. And yet, I think you guys got the hard part to preach a sermon with your lives Monday to Saturday every week. I get the easy part. I get to preach. I think preaching a sermon with your lives week in, week out is significantly harder. And so we want to reflect and honestly reflect on our lives. And then look around you. I think God has strategically placed us As his team A, plan A, no plan B. This is how God works. He uses people. The Great Commission is about a who, not a what, right? With whom has God placed us to pray, watch, and maybe step in the gospel opportunities that God is actually using you as his hands, his feet in people's lives every day? Who might that be? Who are you desperately praying that God would ransom their soul for eternity and he might use you in the process? And then, I don't know if the fog of your circumstances are just overwhelming you at this point. Where you can't even see beyond and believe that God is at work. That that. That, that I'm actually so overwhelmed, I can't even see above the waterline right now. Here's the confidence that we trust the giver. We trust the promises of God even when I cannot see the path all the way through. That I'm trusting in his sustaining and satisfying power. And it's ideally, I hope, in those moments... We, got, we actually get to experience the sweetness of God's presence a little bit more fully. Didn't do this first service. I just think, right? Real practically. I mean, <laughs> we love CareNet, right? We, we, we care about life, <laughs> and yet we could be abused or consumed as, oh man, you're just, you're just a conservative. No, I'm, I'm a follower of Jesus that desperately loves life and want to celebrate life. Man, I, I want to celebrate the idea of two bathrooms. <laughs> we can get blasted again. <laughs> I want to celebrate, I want to celebrate the, 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 the freedom the freedom that's found in, ugh, yeah. Do not be surprised, my brothers and sisters, when the fiery trials of this life come upon you rather as if something strange was happening. Instead, we get to lean into the all-sufficient Savior 
and entrust our souls as we continue to invite people in a life with Jesus, one life at a time. Pray with me. God, you're so good. Whatever circumstance might be confronting us right now, help us lean into you a little bit more fully and actually rejoice. Not just be, be apathetic or indifferent or, or, or distant, but actually rejoice knowing you are present and at work in our lives in those very moments, moment by moment. Help us experience that a little bit more fully this week. Always for your glory we pray. Amen.